Does anybody understand what Dee and Jimmy Haslam were thinking, flirting with bringing <laughs> Deshaun Watson to Cleveland? Everybody's come out against this. Nobody wants this guy here. He's got 22 civil suits against him, even though he was clear to the criminal charges, and they're making Baker Mayfield look terrible. Does anybody get this? How is this good for Cleveland? I don't think it's good. So, Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a big football fan, and you know, I go, I'm a Chiefs fan, full disclosure, but I do go to Browns games, soft Browns supporter, and you know, Baker has not been good. Like, I don't think anybody can. He was injured. Yeah, sure. He, yeah, he's not accused of attacking women. Okay, yeah, that's. I'm getting to that. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's had you know, call it like half a good season, like cumul- cumulatively or whatever. And I get the desire to move on, but to move on to Deshaun Watson, like yeah. this very clear bad guy, right. like what right. are you we gotta, doing? We got we to gotta keep going. I haven't introduced the podcast yet. Lisa, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, bad idea, and I thought Deshaun wanted a warm-weather team anyway. Well, that's not us. Okay, it's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, and I am here with, as you already know, Lisa Garvin, Seth Richardson, and so far the quiet Laura Johnston. I don't think that will continue. Just had to express a little bit of outrage about the dumb decision the Browns seem about to make in the face of pretty much universal opposition. Poor Baker had to go on. Uh, social media and say hey Cleveland thanks for everything I don't know what they're going to do with me I gave it my all it's like so pathetic let's begin how does a report coming from the hands of U.S. Senator Rob Portman of Ohio show the federal government failed to track millions of dollars given to an anti-human trafficking group Laura an interesting question to ask after we've just talked about Deshaun Watson Yes. So Portman is the head of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. And this group issued a report that found improper oversight of $46 million in anti-human trafficking money that the U.S. government gave to an organization called the Global Fund to End Modern Slavery. This money wasn't stolen. We're not looking at corruption. But the report found that the State Department's Trafficking in Persons Office didn't actually scrutinize the fund's disbursement of the money to the subcontractors, and there was a whole lot of wasted tax dollars. Basically, one, I mean, they just, they, these things make no sense. One subgrantee provided pigs to program participants, but no corresponding veterinary care or money to purchase medicine for the pigs. And then another provided goods for human trafficking survivors to sell at market, but there was no market to sell the goods. Yeah, just a, it's a strange one. That It's a lot of money, a lot of tax dollars. And as we all know, we spend a lot of those. I, it just didn't make sense that they would not pay attention to this. No, it doesn't make sense. And you would think if you're going to hand over $46 million to a fund, that you would make sure that they are legit and they know what they're doing. But I guess the fund didn't understand the rules for awarding government money. According to U.S. law, they gave money to programs that were ill-conceived and one other example is they were trying to train participants to fight human trafficking in languages the participants did not understand so literally it's just just noise yeah you'd think that you would find a better group and there's got to be a lot of groups out there fighting human trafficking and it's obviously a very worthy cause that we should be trying to end but we we need a better group to do it Ever since Rob Portman announced he wasn't running for re-election, it seems like we talk about him all the time. Where was he all those years? <laughs> He's been busy as could be ever since he said, I'm leaving. Uh, but, but that's Rob Portman. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
How is Tim Ryan, the Democratic congressman running for the U.S. Senate in Ohio to replace Rob Portman, working to build a statewide Democratic ticket for lots of the statewide officers? Seth, this is interesting. He hasn't won the primary yet, but he's already thinking of November. Yeah, it's pretty clear that he's operating under the uh, presumption that he is going to win the primary and kind of be the uh, top of the ticket, so to speak. Right. Which, you know, there's pro- you know, there, uh, it, it's a it's a relatively safe assumption, I would guess, on his part. Right. And he's also been the Democrat who's been able to raise the most money. Um, you know, if, if you look at anyone, it's interesting to me, not necessarily that he is doing it, because I think that would be expected come November, right? You always have, he's, he's forming a, um, you know, sort of joint fundraising committee to uh, directly give money to uh, Jeff Crossman, Taylor Sappington, Chelsea Clark, and Scott Schertzer. They're the candidates running for attorney general, auditor, treasurer, um, and secretary of state. And I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily that weird. I mean, we saw Sherrod Brown do it in 2018, where they form these kind of, you know, groups that make it easier to fundraise and get more money down ballot candidates. I do think it's a little interesting that he's announcing it this early and giving money directly to the Democratic Party because it does kind of say to me that, hey, you know, I can raise money, but maybe everybody else can't raise money, which I think speaks to sort of the um, uh, the feeling about Democrats in Ohio right now. Well, there, the Democratic ticket could be interesting because you have Jennifer Bruner running for the Supreme Court with a party affiliation on the ballot because of the new law. You have Tim Ryan, who is becoming a more recognized name. Those down ballot people are not that well known. You'll have John Cranley or, or Nan Whaley running for governor, getting some name recognition, not as well known as the others. And, and you know, we've talked about how inept the Ohio Democrats are at building a ticket and messaging. They do a terrible job. They have a message to deliver. The Republicans have screwed up a lot of stuff, but they're bad at it. And it seems like Ryan is recognizing that early and trying to get people united so that they can have united messaging. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, like you said, for them to have any, you know, the the down ballot candidates, a lot of their prospects are going to rely on, whether Ryan and whoever the governor candidate are is uh, whether they do well or not, right? We know the down ballot races are almost always just kind of um, coattails from the top of the ticket. So, uh, yeah, I think it's very clear that he's trying to get out in front of this right now and say, hey, you know, maybe there hasn't been much, um, you know, discussion about some of the more down ballots. So let's all kind of unify together and, you know, come up with whatever message we can to, you know, uh, both boost Democrats and attack Republicans. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. What is swatting and how are some legislators seeking to stop it? Lisa, yesterday, Laura and I saw swatting pop up on our budget. It's like, what is that? I have no idea what that is. Andrew Tobias explained it to us. What is swatting? Well, swatting is the false reporting of a violent or dangerous situation or threat, presumably to bring out the SWAT team, which is why it's called swatting. Um, Right now it's a misdemeanor, but Senate Bill 292 wants to make it a third-degree felony 
a first-degree felony if somebody is injured during one of these prank calls. And it also calls for first responders like EMS to bill for any expenses incurred for a fake standoff or SWAT situation. This bill was requested by Attorney General David Yost, and it had its first committee hearing yesterday. It's sponsored by Andrew Brenner, a senator from uh, Delaware County. He says he did it in response to a couple of incidents that happened in his district back in 2021. So, Seth, I think you're a gamer, and this is something that has happened in the gamer community where people get mad at each other, so they mm. call in a phony, violent crime. Is that right? Yeah, it. it I think it's died down a little bit. In, I don't want to say it's gone away. It's still a, a pretty big problem, but it was really big, especially in, you know, kind of going into the 2010s, like starting with then you'd have uh, multiple instances of people streaming, playing their video games or whatever. And uh, the SWAT team would break in because of, I don't know, some, you know, some disagreement about a game and then someone would uh, essentially call and do this to someone. It's not exclusive to gaming though. Like it, it does happen to, um, you know, all, all different kinds of people. It's, it's part of internet troll culture is really uh, where it's, it kind of thrives. And Lisa, there's multiple levels that they're looking at uh, felony. Like it could be a first degree felony, right? If something really Correct. bad happens. If somebody is injured, it would be a first degree felony. Otherwise, it would be a third degree felony. This kind of combines some existing laws on the statutes here in Ohio. But some county prosecutors are rumbling that maybe the penalties are too high. But, you know, they may change their mind. Who knows? But there was a, a notable incident in 2019. There was a 19-year-old Ohio man man. He got 15 years in prison for a false hostage situation that he called to a house in Wichita, Kansas, probably one of his gamer buddies, but they were all people involved in playing an online game. Well, you got to think that you are sending police, armed police, into what they expect is a dangerous, very dangerous situation. So there's a you're, you're creating tension where none exists. And then if the police go in and, and believing it's bad, shoot somebody that, that, you know, the world comes down on the police. But it's really the person who created the phony situation in the first place. It seems like this is. A, a new law that actually is needed. Unlike most of the laws passed by the Ohio <laughs> legislature, which are not solving any kind of problem, this is actually a real problem. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't. They don't foresee much opposition to this bill so far, and then it has to go over to the House. Okay, you're listening to today in Ohio. Here's a good one. How is Sherwin Williams building plans in Brecksville contributing to a threat against the last registered heritage farm in Cuyahoga County? And that means a farm where the same family has owned it for more than 100 years. Laura, this is a great story we published yesterday by Bob Sandrick. Yeah, great story that caught my eye and the barn picture. It's like, wait, I drive past that all the time. This is a beautiful farm with this big red wooden barn. Sits on Miller Road in Brecksville, directly opposite the exit ramp from 77 South. If you take that, you'll know they only have one-way exits and entrances. You can only come from the north and go back north. And so I've often wondered about it. Well, the government wants to take a swath of what's left of its 20 acres to build an entrance ramp to the south 
improve the intersection for the new Sherwin-Williams R&D facility, part of that giant Valor Acres project on Miller Road. And so you're really pitting this family farm that has been established since the 1800s was once a dairy farm with 140 acres. It's down to 20 now, and they've kind of specialized in horses and riding. But you, you might be taking away their livelihood as well as their home so that people can get on the highway easier. There's no other way they can create this entrance somewhere else. It has to be there. I mean, they are right next to the highway. Currently, if you want to go south from Miller Road, you'd have to get onto Brexville Road and go over where the turnpike intersects. Um, And so that's probably two miles down the road. So they want this to be as convenient as possible for people. And that was part of the deal with Sherwin-Williams in the first place. And ODOT signed off on it. They're negotiating with the city for the price right now, but they realize that if they don't come to an agreement, they're going to get taken by eminent domain. In the 60s, actually, they got a huge swath of their land taken just to build the highway in the first place. What what kind of farm is it? So right now, it's a horse farm, basically, and they give riding lessons. They said they're very successful. They had their best year ever in 2021. They had people come from as far away as Abu Dhabi in Ireland to learn how to ride there. They've had 35 horse stalls since the at, they were added in 94 when they were trying to figure out how to continue their business being a farm right next to a highway. They should put a big billboard on their land with the Sherwin-Williams cover your world thing where the paint is dripping <laughs> all over the world and put it on top of a horse's face. You know, cover the world, cover the farm. It's kind of sad to see the last one of these things jeopardized. You're listening yeah. to Today in Ohio. Capital Letter, our weekday newsletter about all things politics in the State House in Ohio, has unveiled a new weekly feature in the past month showing how much money candidates are spending in Ohio on advertising. Seth, this is great. I look forward to this every week. It's really well done. It was your brainchild. What's the goal here and what does it show? Uh, yeah, I want to give editor Chris Wardowski some credit, too. We were trying to come up with ways that, you know, we, 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 we infrequently do... Um, you know, campaign fi- or, uh, campaign ad spending stories basically throughout elections. And we were looking for a different way to report on that. And there's so much spending on a week-to-week basis, especially in the Senate race where there's been just tons of spending so far that we thought that it would be a good idea to, hey, let's, let's take a look at this, you know, weekly and kind of break it down and we can see how much everyone is spending, who is spending for that matter, because we also track PAC spending, where they're spending their money. And it, it, it sort of gives an idea at least a little bit of the ebb and flow of the campaign. Um, Medium buying, a firm down in Columbus, gives us the numbers every week, and I go through them and basically build up some charts and graphs and uh, just kind of lay the numbers out there that it's all very much just kind of raw data so everybody can look at it um, and, and see hey, where, where is all of, you know, these millions of dollars? Where where are they spending their money? Where are the, the candidates trying to target? Where do they think they are going to be able to get their message out? That, that was sort of the idea behind it. The most amazing feat of this, of course, was getting the graphics to work inside the newsletter format. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. It's I'm impressed. I have to deal with that newsletter format every week, and it's not easy. So we should explain to people, how do you sign up for Capital Letter? 
Yeah, if you just go to cleveland.com slash newsletters and uh, sign up for Capital Letter, you can actually sign up for any of our newsletters there. I think we've got, I mean, we've got a bunch of them, right? Um, at, at, but sign up for Capital Letter. The Ad Watch feature goes out every Monday in the newsletter. It's, uh, you know, very, very detailed. I, I work very hard on it, so I hope people enjoy it. I've gotten some good feedback on it, but we plan to continue it basically through the election. Yeah, it's it's really well done. And, you know, we get nothing but positive feedback about Capital Letter. It's one of the most popular things we do. And if you sign up today, you'll get it on Friday morning for the ever popular trivia contest, which some of the top elected officials in the state enter <laughs> every Friday morning. Again, it's cleveland.com slash newsletters. You are listening to Today in Ohio. We don't know what the lines are for the congressional or legislative districts, but the May 3rd election is fast approaching. How is the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections staff trying to be ready? And Lisa, do they think they can pull this off? Well, he's still a little bit unsure. This is Board of Elections Deputy Director Anthony Perlotti, who we talked about in our podcast last week when he was not very confident at all that things were going to get done. Perlotti says he could really use more days. He says you can't buy more days and that's what we need at this point. He said five days would be a big help. But he, you know, the maps are still in flux. They have a tight deadline. The ballots have to be finished and sent to the printer by the 7th of April and that's two days after admins. I'm sorry, they don't have to be. He says the ballots could be sent to print by April 7th, but that's two days after absentee absentee voting begins. They've been given like $693,000 in overtime and staffers have been working night and day, but Perlotti's still a little bit nervous. Well, this all comes back to the legislature being foolish and not extending the election. We can move this election to June, we can move it to July, and they keep refusing to do so. And we're all on the hook now because there's some issue with the Ohio Supreme Court. They're not ruling on the legislative case And it doesn't make sense. They haven't taken this kind of time. There must be some kind of conflict going on there. The only answer is to postpone the election. It's sad that the legislature is making people like the Board of Elections staff in Cuyahoga County run around like chickens with their heads cut off. And Perlotti was among dozens of Board of Elections officials who begged the legislature to move the primary, which they have not yet done. Um, And he's worried about the domino effect. He says you have to test the scanners before they go to the polling locations. You need test ballots to test those. You can't create test ballots until the maps are finalized, so it's a whole domino effect. And he said the deadlines to get all these things done is long gone, and he's calling it a worse scenario. Yeah, there's an easy answer. They should just postpone it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talk a lot about the long wait for justice in the Ohio Statehouse corruption scandal and the fact that nobody at First Energy has actually been charged yet. But little noticed is another corruption trial taking place this week involving a Brexville council member. Laura, what's this one about and what has been revealed in the trial thus far? Well, the trial just started, but this does not seem to reach Larry Householder proportions or former county government uh, proportions. But uh, Mayor Jerry Hubry, the Brexville mayor, testified for four hours Monday in this trial for former Councilman Jack Petchy. And Hubry asked the Ohio Ethics Commission to investigate Petchy for voting on two ordinances to help fund the construction of a new police station when his roofing company was a subcontractor for the project. 
And so Pecci had voted in favor of issuing $2.5 million to finish paying for the construction of a new police station while his company was was getting this job. However, the work began before Pecci was a councilman. And you got to think there's some, I mean, there is something going on between both Ruby and and Pecci. They don't like each other. Ruby and most of the government officials in Brecksville are Republicans. Pecci is a Democrat who pushed for um, this, I guess, referendum basically in 2012 where everybody gets together in Brecksville once a year and says that they don't agree with giving, you know, allowing corporations to give as much money to elections as they want. So the, the rules are really clear. If you're an elected official, you cannot vote on something that accrues to your financial benefit. Right. So this would seem to be a cut and dried case. But in the opening day of the trial, when the mayor, Ruby, he's been mayor forever, was on the stand, the defense really was going at the idea of political feud, that you didn't ever right. talk to the to the councilman. You went straight to the ethics commission and and you did this like five days after some big moment in the feud. But and I get it. He's trying to say they only reported this because there's a feud. But did he actually vote on something that accrued to his his benefit? I don't think, I mean, I think so. I, I Obviously, I'm not in the trial. The facts are not really in dispute here. He did vote for this $2.5 million. It was unanimous, but he didn't vote on the original part. Like, he wasn't part of that uh, council when they originally yeah, approved that. I, I know. Mean, this I, is what happened to Joe Simperman. He voted on a contract that went to his wife's company, and he ended up being convicted of, as a crime as a result. You cannot do it. It's, you know, we, 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 we're seeing Brad Sellers, the Warrensville Heights mayor, is under criminal investigation now because he s- signed a document giving himself a tax abatement, which you can't do. So I, I'm just surprised this is going to trial, that the councilman wouldn't have made a deal. If he did it, I, I don't see how—and it's a judge making—so you're not yeah, playing to a jury. The right. judge is going to rule on the facts. If you voted on a contract that gave you financial gain, how are you anything but guilty? I, I don't disagree <laughs> with you. It does seem pretty cut and dry. I, and I, I don't obviously want any public official— breaking the law or breaking the public trust. I just, you see so much of it all the time. This seems really petty and could have been an oversight and could have been a discussion. If, I don't know. It just seems, it seems over the top for a trial. Here's the other thing. If you're the lone Democrat in a city full of Republicans and you are doing something controversial that they they're annoyed about you need to be invulnerable to things like this if to have this in the background while he's causing the trouble i mean it's pretty much automatic they're going to lodge this against him and that's why he's in a criminal trial we'll have to see if he gets convicted it's a felony charge they carry a sentence of six to 18 months in prison i mean that's a big deal um so you're right if it had been me and you're like i mean could you have some kind of mea culpa and apologize? And I mean, the Ohio Ethics Commission does not normally end up sending people to prison. So. No, and and they they actually do look to work with people to come to accommodations of some sort. Uh, right. And it's the people that refuse who end up getting slammed the hardest if they're convicted. All right. Well, we'll be looking for a verdict in that case. It's today in Ohio. Is an Ohio congressman part of a move to end the mandate for masks on airplanes? Seth, this makes no sense. I don't think even the most 
wild anti-masker would disagree that the air on airplanes circulates really easily. How many people are really offended by wearing masks on airplanes, and who is this Ohio congressman? It's kind of hard to tell how many are offended by it because we have seen a lot of uh, airplane freakout videos. But the other side of that is, you know, maybe those are the only times you're seeing it. But uh, regardless, Warren Davidson of Miami County, he joined in this lawsuit with uh, 17 other Republicans. Just to give you a list, I, I'm sure these are names people will re probably recognize. But Kentucky's Thomas Massey, uh, Georgia's Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene, Colorado's Lo Lauren Boebert, and Arizona's Paul Gosar, uh, as well as uh, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. You know, they filed a lawsuit in Kentucky to base that basically says that they would be irreparably harmed if they have to continue wearing masks on airplanes. And they also argue that the CDC doesn't have the authority to, uh, you know, impose these kind of restrictions on air travel or enforce them for that matter. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I, I think this is probably going to end up being a moot lawsuit before too long because the CDC is, you know, kind of, stepping back regulations a bit. So my guess is that this, you know, doesn't really, you know, federal lawsuits take a long time. So I have to imagine that probably the CDC is going to rescind a mask mandate on airlines before there's some kind of uh, um, full verdict in this. Laura, you're an intrepid traveler. Would you, if they didn't require a mask on a plane, would you not wear one? No, I would definitely be wearing a mask on a plane. I mean, you're like sharing an armrest with someone. And <laughs> yeah, although, you know, the the whole like put your mask up between bites and sips. People have been eating and drinking on airplanes for at least the last year. So I don't I mean, and, and not most people are not wearing K95. So you could probably argue how much are they really helping anyway. But Is I'd be wearing mine. Yeah, this just seems like a stupid fight. I and mean, it's one where I think a lot of people would wear them anyway on a plane. Maybe not in stores and other places, but a plane is well, still a very contained you, you thing have to, where you clearly... I, I mean, think about how many times you would get sick just coming back from being on a plane anyway. I think even when there's not a pandemic, wearing a mask on a plane makes makes sense. No, you Lisa? have to wonder. I mean, it's just like the Freedom Convoy. It's like they're a little bit behind the wave there. I mean, they're protesting something that's already going away. So obviously this is a way to score political points with their followers. I mean, it's just a, it's just a show. Come on. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. What's the latest experience available in Cleveland for people who like to spend the night in historic buildings? Lisa, we've had a bunch of buildings downtown that have been converted into hotels, the former school board building and some of the other downtown buildings. We got another Yeah, the one. 1915 May Company building has opened 62 extended stay hotel rooms. This is in addition to the 300 apartments that they began leasing in the May Company building last August. Uh, Dan Gilbert's bedrock real estate firm bought the May company building back in 2017. This will be called Roost. Um, it's going to be operated by the Philadelphia-based Method Company. You have to stay at least 30 days. They have any, anything from a studio to a three-bedroom across three floors of the May Company building. Maintenance and housekeeping is included, fully furnished, you know, so all nine yards. And I went on the website, and they, you know, they have some beautiful views from some of these uh, suites. And they run about $148 a night and up for a one-bedroom. Yeah, it's one of those buildings that is that's iconic in Cleveland. Everybody's familiar with it. It's got really good bones. For a while, they had 
computer servers in there because they, they were relying on the sturdy floors to keep vibrations and things down. Um, it would be fun to stay there, but I but if you have to stay there for 30 days, it's not quite the, the romantic getaway for night kind of thing. It's, I guess, for people that are spending time right. here for their right, jobs. Right, right. And, you know, I... You, it's right there on public square. So these would be people that are ostensibly coming here for business or, you know, for an extended, you know, you know, for, for school maybe even, but yeah, I, and they have beautiful views. A lot of them face out onto public square. So it would be a nice place to stay for a month. It'll be even more beautiful when they get rid of the big concrete (laughs) bollards that are sitting out there. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have a little time left, Seth. I cut you off when you were talking about Deshaun Watson. Go ahead. Wax poetic. Well, it's just, you know, it's, I have no, I understand that athletes are not heroes, right? For the most part. Like they're, they're not, there's this kind of lionization of athletes in American culture there where they're supposed to be, you know, the all American type of people. And they're just not. Okay. I'm, like I said, I'm a chiefs fan. There are bad people on the chiefs. I'm aware of it. Right. There, there have been bad people on every team in every sport in history throughout his, you know, through the last 150 years. But it's like Deshaun Watson is such a, he's, he's a great ball player. I don't think anybody can argue that, but at the same time, I mean, do you really want to, like, are you so? I, I realize that Browns fans have, you know, suffered a long time and have not had, you know, success for two decades. But do you really? It's almost like you're selling your soul a little bit, right? Where you have this like very clearly bad guy uh, who, you know, may come here. You're going to have to give up quite a bit of your team for him, right? Because you're gonna you're gonna get rid of your quarterback. You're probably going to have to get rid of two pretty good pieces in, as in terms of players. And then on top of that, you're going to have to get rid of draft picks. All for this guy who is you know just just does not it, it's gross in a well, way well but but also that baker mayfield was injured for pretty much the entire season last year and the team erred in having him play mm-hmm. they should have let him heal up he got hurt in the early part and yet he went out there week after week did his best in pain in agony he is largely a fan favorite he said some dumb things at the end of the season when he cracked under pressure but the fans really like him he's somebody that feels like he's part of cleveland and they're what they're doing to this poor guy leaving him out there hanging and, and swinging in the wind to get somebody who is not a good guy as you said i don't get it i mean they they said at the beginning Baker is our guy for this season. He'll be healthy. We're going to build around him. And it's almost like they're they're desperate now and making a desperate decision that nobody agrees with. I mean, do you see anybody out there saying, yeah, let's go get Deshaun Watson? I mean, yeah, there are definitely fans who will. I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm super plugged into, uh, you know, Browns fandom itself. But there are fans of teams, you know, Browns included, who are like, well, he's a great player. And, you know, the they didn't indict. So they, they kind of say, well, he must be innocent because they didn't indict. And it's like, well, he's still facing 22 civil charges. And that's going to be a much lower burden of proof. And, you know, on top of that, he's going to be suspended. He's probably going to be suspended for six games. So right. you're you're trying to get a guy who, you know, is like it's just one like it's gross to like say, hey, we want this guy because you're basically saying winning is the only thing that matters. Right. Which I, I get it. Right. But at the same time, I think you want to feel a little more comfortable with the people that you are rooting for. Like anytime you're rooting for a bad guy, you know, it, it doesn't make you feel great. Of course, winning cures everything. But, you know, the other the other side of this is, 
you know, how many how many people were critical of a guy like Ben Roethlisberger who has his own, you know, checkered past with, you know, sexual assault allegations and, you know, Cleveland fans could kind of hold their head high that, hey, you know what? Maybe we, you know, didn't necessarily have the success yeah, we, of Ben Roethlisberger, but well, hey, at least well, we're not, you know, bringing in people. If this I could bad. offer a slightly different perspective here, I mean, the Browns took a chance on Kareem Hunt, and look how well that turned out. Nobody won, and we got him, and he was suspended for the few first few games after we got Kareem Hunt, and he's turned out, you know, he's changed his life, and he turned out to be a good player. So the Browns have taken chances on troubled people before. Yeah, they've taken some chances on other troubled people. It didn't work out. And he was almost free. It was a little bit different. Seth does point out they're going to give up an arm and a leg to get a quarterback that to replace somebody that has had some flashes of brilliance. We've gone long. It's a good conversation. We'll leave it there. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to Today in Ohio. <laughs>